1895, the state of Ohio had only two automobiles. And wouldn't you know it, they collided. <laughs> so, <laughs> who knows what kind of collision we're going to have in the days ahead. If you dare vote for a decree that God finds abominable and murderous, you will answer to him. God's curse is upon you. How dare you? How dare you? defy him. Strange women lying in ponds, distributing swords is no basis for a system of government. When is the time for justice? The time is now. I'm tired of waiting for incremental solutions that never make any increments and never bring solutions. So when is the time for justice? It's now. I said to every sinner, God broke the law for love. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. If the court in a nation is the highest authority, then you've found a God. If the people are the highest authority, then you've found another God. If, if there's no transcendent law governing over this nation or any other nation, then you've found another God. It's never too early to learn that the government is a greedy piglet that suckles on a taxpayer's teat until they have sore, chapped nipples. Take the guns first, go through due process second. Please clap. Just as the church has an obligation to be Christian, just as the family has an obligation to be Christian, just so the school has an obligation to be Christian, and the state, and your calling, and the school, every area of life must recognize Christ as Lord and Savior. Welcome to Crossing Crown Radio, an unapologetically Christian reconstructionist talk show for your edification and your enjoyment. Jesus is king. No neutrality, no exile, and certainly no surrender. My name is Jason. I'm your host. With me are my friends Jordan. What's up? Episode 10. Numero 10. That's Spanish for, oh my goodness, I can't believe it's number 10. <laughs> and John's also here with me. Howdy, howdy. Strange women lying in ponds distributing swords is no basis for a system of government. Oh, we're going to have to address that issue <laughs> at the very beginning. <laughs> yes, indeed. This is episode number 10. As John likes to say, it's the first ever episode number 10. First and only episode 10. And it's quite a doozy because we have a huge announcement at the very beginning here that we want to get to. Um <gasps> Later, we're going to whet your appetite for a second. We're going to talk about the law and gospel and how they are friends, not enemies, how they go together. Amen. You should see how serious I am right now because next to me on my little mini desk here, I have Van Til. <gasps> and I'm going to recommend a book by, well, not by Greg Bonson alone. He wrote a book on the law and the gospel with other authors. I'm going to read some stuff from there a little later. For your enjoyment, certainly. It's a book I recommend. Um, five so Views. Bonson book. and Ventil by a Man. I also see, is that a Bible too? That's some heavy stuff. That's a Bible. Yeah. Yes, it is. You know what? Come to think of it in my uh, briefcase over here, if we can call it that, is John Frame's book on Ventil. So I've just okay. sort of been immersing yeah. myself lately. But 
Yeah, anyway, we want to get to our first announcement, though. I'm excited about this because it's something that, that we've been working on for months, probably. It's been several months. Yeah. And it's really a, a, a pet project of mine. I've spent a lot of time working on it. And, and the thing about this project that excites me the most is because you know the phrase, you can't beat something with nothing. So we want to beat something with something. We want to give an alternative. We're announcing today Cross and Crown Seminary. What? Da, da, da. Cross and Crown Seminary. You can go to our website, crosscrownchurch.com slash seminary. And you can check it out. Seminary's got kind of a uh, fallen on hard times. We're going to be making seminary great again. Yes. For the first there time. There you go. <laughs> that'll be our nice little. Uh, that'll be our slogan. Yeah, that'll be a great slogan. How do you, what's the abbreviation? Uh, M-S-G-A. It doesn't really we'll roll, roll off the tongue quite as well. <laughs> MAGA. MISGA. But that, that, that's okay. Yeah. Well, you can go to the website. You can check it out. But really, I'm just going to give you a synopsis because I'm so excited about it. We we know that education is becoming increasingly expensive. We know that uh, because of that, it's an inaccessible thing. We have students graduating with, you know, thousands of dollars of debt, tens, tens of, of thousands, thousands. Tens of, yeah. and even even more than that in some cases. So we want to create something that is based on the free market, something that we can apply where we can come up with solutions to change education. So it's not this highfalutin thing where only the special elite get to go. This is this program is a full on mentorship program. We've carefully curated some classes for you. Um, this is for everyone, men and women, whoever wants to jump on the train, they can do this. Um, it's affordable. But I thought seminary was only for pastors. It's not. <laughs> well, you know, the Latin word for seminary, or for uh, <laughs> the, the etymology Latin of root, it. Right. thank you, uh, is seed. So mm -hmm. it's the idea of planting a seed. So it's really not, it, it shouldn't be just for a special elite class. It should be for everyone. And women need theological training too? They do. They do. <laughs> what? They're part of the Dominion Covenant too. You must be a dirty feminist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not really, of course. I mean, women... And men, I mean, we all need to glorify God with our minds. Yeah. And this is what this is about. Absolutely. So basically, the requirements are on the website. You can check it out. You have books that you're going to read. You're going to be reading the entirety of the Bible. Um, those passages are basically been chosen for the topics that you're looking at. There's There are lectures you're going to listen to. There's a whole bunch of great content that we've picked. Um, every module, there are 11 modules you're going to to, you're going to write a paper, 15-page paper, nothing too crazy, but we want to know that you're reading the content, those sort of things. And also, one of my favorite things is you're going to memorize scripture, um, the topical memory system. The Navigators put that out. It's a really good, helpful thing. I've used it in the past and still kind of use it periodically today. But And really, the best thing, the thing, thing that excites me the most is this is part of your requirement to graduate is you need to have either in person, obviously that you know depends on where you're at, or you're going to have a video chat with yours truly where we talk about ways to implement what you're learning. So it's really a mentorship type thing. So we should be calling you Professor Garwood. You can, <laughs> you should. I can put that on the website if need be. He's also the dean. The dean, yeah. <laughs> the head of, the dean of all students. Uh, yeah, so. So, me, so the thing is, is this really a seminary if if it doesn't have like federal accreditation? Yeah, I mean, is this really it real? Is real. Yeah. You know, accreditation is um, garbage. Uh, so, <laughs> in short, <laughs> it's basically so that you can get federal subsidies, is it not? Yeah, so That's we're not right. doing that. We don't want government money. 
So, well, the cool thing about it is because of the cost model, it's going to be so infinitely more affordable than uh, the classical seminary model that you might have. And it's a scalable model, one mm -hmm. that can scale out. Obviously, you're going to be d discipling um, these folks. But uh, as we go further in, in the future, you know, there's an opportunity for that to branch out and grow. And one of the things I really like about it is that what you mentioned about not coming out of your early 20s piled in debt. Right. And then if you are a pastor and you want to go into the pastorate and so forth, um, having to enter that world in debt and then you sort of have to get that sort of high-paying executive pastor job, then you've got a lot of pressure on you to keep the income coming in, to keep the, the tithers tithing, to keep the, the givers giving. And um, if pastors are the same as any other profession out there, there's no profession that 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 doesn't at times present a conflict of interest. I'm not going to say that thing. I'm going to be less reticent to offend these people exactly. because I'm dependent on this huge stack of money that I need coming in. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Whenever you start mixing in that kind of huge incentive. And of course, I don't want to besmirch the character of every seminarian, you know, right. but it is a factor. And then you take into another account. What are they even learning in these Bible colleges and seminaries? How much is this? Do they have to just unteach Oh, yeah. Like unlearn, I should I re say. I remember when I took um, the pastorate in Michigan, and this was 2011, it, all of a sudden, like, I had to do funerals. I'd never done a funeral. I didn't know how to do a funeral. How do you do a funeral? You mm -hmm. just, you got to figure it out. So all of a sudden, you're, like, not prepared. And, and back to what you said, Jordan, real quick, because it popped in my mind. This whole idea of you go to school to get this education and then what i've found is you go to try to get a full-time position and you don't have any experience right either you're 22 23 years old what do you know what do you know yeah so it's like you you have to get in somewhere and usually the model is the entry level is the youth pastor and then you sort of oh, work yeah. your way up and then you know you've graduated to, to being the senior pastor and the whole the whole thing is just feeding the mic that we criticize rightfully a lot of the times that's that ministry industrial complex. Yeah, it's this whole system, and a lot of it's geared toward what Jordan you just said brilliantly. It's just this huge debt issue. Um, there are all sorts of issues that are attached to that. But for us, what are we going to beat? Well, we're creating this program. It's subscription based, so you're looking at a hundred dollars a month. You have accountability. You're being challenged. You're you have someone that's going to be in your ear, helping you, encouraging you. Um, ed ed uh, education should be affordable. Um, we need free market solutions and creativity that costs money. You need quality education, which requires someone's time and effort. You need accountability. And you know, you guys know that when you put your money towards something, you are investing in that and that investment demands your attention. You're not just careless about it. Right. Um, mentorship and counsel is vi uh, valuable for growth. And frankly, because the kingdom of God matters. So why why are we charging? Well, those are all the reasons. So another, another great differentiator I love about it is that you're not just going to you're gonna get like a full jam-packed curriculum full of all of the things that you're gonna need, but you're also gonna get economics, law, history, the history of education, all of those things, and um, you're gonna get a feel for what it means to create a social order to pursue that. And whether you're going in as a pastor or you want to be a pastor, you want to go down that road or whether you're leading a family, mm -hmm. um, whether you know, no matter what you're doing, everyone needs to have uh, a full orb Christian worldview. And this can serve so many people. Yeah. So we're trying to sort of take it 
out of the, this definition that only this clergy class can um, go and get educated in all these topics. Right. Yeah. Social order is the final class. You have, you have a lot of stuff in that. That's really the capstone because we want you to take everything you've learned and actually do something with it. Um, and then it's a huge course, differentiator. Yeah. Nothetic counseling is huge because for far too long, we've let the humanist versions of psychology take over when what we need is, is biblicism <laughs> all up and down. Amen. So yeah, that's the big announcement. I'm really excited. You can check out the website again, crosscrownchurch.com slash seminary. You can read all about the stuff there. I'm excited about it. I'm it's really cool. Yeah. It. I'm, I've worked hard on it too. And I, I really and am happy with how it's, how it's I believe out. we are limiting the amount of entrance to start out with. Yes. Yeah. We're looking at right now for this April, we're looking at six students. Oh, wow. So Are people really, and need I a, believe we already have several. I think we have a couple already. Okay. Locked. So, so like we're, we're, so get so on it. Jump yeah. on board. So get on yeah. It. yeah. It's yeah. going to be even, uh, we're going to open it up again. I understand yes. later again. So just yeah. be aware of that. Looking at spring and then fall again, just to balance it. Who knows? What if we get like 50, then we're really in trouble. No, that'll be awesome. No, then we scale it to <laughs> Yeah. Then we have other to. leaders and yeah, then it then it blows up, and that's really cool too. Mm-hmm. So, anyhow, you can you can send us an email to Cross and Crown Nova Northern Virginia short short for Northern Northern Virginia at gmail.com. So, if you have any questions, let us know or message us on the page. Yeah, yeah, the Facebook pages are are there too. So, anyhow, we want to jump into a news discussion. Uh, What's you, going on this week, man? There's a lot going on. You have Trump wants to. Stop giving us avocados. There's all this. What about our guacamole? Yeah, I know. There's all this stuff. Um, But really the big one we want to hit on is this headline that NBC News put out. And here's what it says. Measles outbreak leads New York County to ban unvaccinated children from public spaces. Here's the description. Rockland County Executive Ed Day cited a state law which gives local officials sweeping powers. Sweeping. Sweeping powers. You should, John, you're triggered already. In the event, quote, in the event of reasonable apprehension of immediate danger to the public. Never waste a crisis. If Man, you don't have one, make one gosh. up. <laughs> I don't, Jordan, what do we do with this? Well, okay, so let's just be clear. Your Rockland County is uh, an entire county in New York is banning any... Uh, they do have an exemption if you're medically, if you've got like a, and it's, it's a very high bar for getting that medical exemption. Um, but anybody who is not vaccinated, you're not, you have to stay away from all public places. It's not just from the kids who want to go to public school and can't, although there is that. It's, it's malls. It's church services, right? This is anywhere that's public. And so that's, that's insane. Insane. It's insane. Essentially, the state is telling families with unvaccinated children that they are legally prohibited from attending corporate worship. And if they're found to have gone to public worship, they can prosecute retroactively and throw the parents in prison for up to six months. Well, the government can go jump in a lake. Wow. <laughs> well, that, that's a good question. Pastors, how will you counsel unvaccinated families if this comes up in your county? Will you throw Romans 13 at them at that point? Right? You bet. We got to be thinking along these lines because we've been sort of late to the game on all this kind of stuff. Um, Homeschoolers, they're coming for you next. Don't think that just because you're not a a public schooler that you're going to be safe. This will come to your door if we do not take action soon. So, uh, whether you're for parental choice, whether you're pro vaccine, whether you're anti vaccine, 
letting this sort of thing go forward unchecked is a Pandora's box of problems. Um, and again, let's be clear, the government is saying inject this healthy child with this substance into their bloodstream or you're not permitted to go to public worship. If you disobey, we'll throw you in prison. What could possibly go wrong with this precedent? Yeah. That's I mean, what I want to know. <laughs> I'm, at the, uh, I'm sure I'm going to be at the risk of sounding dramatic, but this is some serious like dystopian stuff. Yes. Yeah. And I'm as post-millennial as anybody. My goodness. Mm-hmm. But we get desensitized to this it. This is but it's really going on. This is insanity. This is a massive, massive government overreach. And there's going to be a lot of people out there. that are like, ah, those anti-vaxxers, you know, they're right. crazy anyway. And they're going to be like, ha ha. But guess what? It's just going to be something else. Right. And it's just going to be something. This is the government saying we own your children. Exactly. So if if you're 100% pro-vaccination, sure, Mm -hmm. whatever. But guess what? If you're maybe pro-home education, Mm -hmm. you're going to be next. Maybe you want to actually let your kids go play outside without a stinking leash or something, (laughs) and you're going to be next. Mm -hmm. It's just going to get worse and worse and worse. We don't know. That's the thing. Like, it could be anything. We we don't really know. That's why this precedent just can't happen. And and like John was saying, if you're, you know, I'm sure some of our listeners are um, pro-vaccine, you know, that's that's your jurisdiction. As a parent, that is your uh, God-given decision. But the message is to, for in America and specifically to the church, we have acquiesced to treating the state as God for mm-hmm. so long. Yeah. And we've been derelict in our duties to disciple the nation in terms of the proper role and jurisdiction of civil government. And now we complain when they overreach, right? Mm-hmm. How long has the church been absolutely silent about where the state has jurisdiction and where it does not? You're absolutely right. A so, long yeah. time. I mean, So the state yeah. filled the gap. Yeah. The church refused to take on responsibility, right. to do as God commands in regards to the civil government, and they expected what exactly? exactly. Of course the yeah. civil government will come in and fill that gap. Yeah, and I'm going to... It's a power void. Exactly, and I'm going to stop there. I have my own views on vaccines, and I've researched them for myself. And parents, I would encourage you to go out there and look at the studies that are available out there. Look at the information. Don't go through only the gatekeepers. Look, there's so much raw data that you can actually look at. Um, and don't let anyone tell you that because you're a parent that you should just not research it. You can do that. There's so much information available to you. John, you were mentioning something about that. Oh, sure. Absolutely. It's one of those things where we believe in no neutrality. There Mm -hmm. is a right answer when it comes to vaccines. I'll be the first to tell you, I don't know what the right answer is on this issue. I have not studied it nearly as much as many people. What I do know is that statism is sin. And anytime the government tells me that I can't do something with my own children when it comes to their health in a proper jurisdiction is something as as basic as like what you would inject into their bodies, Mm -hmm. that is a massive overreach. So just when it comes to vaccinations, I'm not super dogmatic, but I understand the people that would be. Sure. And there is a right answer. I'm not 100% sure what it is. But when it comes to something like this... Mm-hmm. It is very clear. And I also just want to tack on, and that's exactly right, John, that quarantine is a biblical uh, is a biblical principle. Uh, when you are sick, loving your neighbor is that you should quarantine so you, that you don't spread what you have to others. But what we're talking about here is healthy children being preemptively having the substance injected into their body by force with a threat of prison or... Um, so, and just on like yeah, a basic yeah. ethics sense, this is like this is 
an executive action, like a proactive action from the government where you have not done anything wrong, where right. they are exerting force upon you. It doesn't even matter what that is, but mm -hmm. just the fact that it is that nature of force, that right. nature of government action makes it unethical. Yeah. Can I just point out something to you real quick? Because the hypocrisy is just all over the place. The government is demanding you inject this substance into your body, mm -hmm. but they will chase you down for a small little bag of weed and beat you to a bloody pulp, mm -hmm. throw you in jail. That is incredible. And you can't, you know, get out because you don't have the money and you can't fight the justice system. It's ridiculous. This whole, what we do with our bodies is a, a liberty and a right that we get from God. It's exactly the other side of the coin. The one is forcing you to inject something into your body. The other is if you want to take a smoke of some weed, now you're going in prison. Not to say that's a good idea, but like they're they're doing literally the opposite thing in two yep. different scenarios. Yeah. And this is what you get when you abandon biblical principles of civil jurisdiction. What what is the purpose of civil government? It's to punish evildoers who commit civil crimes, right? And how is that defined? By God's law. Amen. So, Ooh, man, that's going to set us up for the next se second yeah, half. Yeah, so we'll just... No, we're good. I, I think yeah. that that's a, a huge, huge point because, again, as you pointed out earlier, w the church has just not taught about it. We haven't taught it. We've just sort of relegated, oh, that's the magistrate's duty, Romans 13. We quote it willy-nilly, throw it all in this giant, you know, uh, mixed bag of, you know, aphorisms, whatever you want to call it. And then we, we sort of, our conscience is suppressed and we don't realize that when we give the government an inch, they take a mile every time. Yeah, absolutely. Frankly, this really reminds me of the church in Germany during, like before and during the, the Holocaust hmm. um, with Nazism, where you had a large majority of the churches who were theologically conservative, who did not make a stand on Judaism and what was happening with Jews because it wasn't what they would say their jurisdiction. It wasn't happening to us and we can't tell the government what to do with the Jews. So we're just going to stay out of it. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what Hitler wanted. He even wrote about it saying that the church needs to stay in their place. Mm -hmm. And guess what? They did. And they were completely negligent. Right. The pastors were completely negligent. The church was completely negligent. And they were silent. Not everyone, of course, but many of them were. And I don't want to necessarily compare something like this to like the Holocaust. But what this is, is just another step in the assumption that the government has the right to do what they, what they want to with you. John, it's amazing that you brought that point up because I don't even think you knew about this. But at the core of the story is this community of Hasidic Jews in this county. And they are basically the ground zero of this where this is going on and they are not able to go to their Passover stuff. They're not able to go out in public. They have to sign papers that they've had this done to them. Uh, done, uh, they had this procedure done to their children before they can go out in public. And it really this is. This really yeah, makes me mad. There's a lot of parallels. I, I didn't know that, but yeah. this really makes me mad. It's, mm -hmm. yes, I mean, this is about vaccines and I really don't know as much about vaccines as I should. But the fact that the government is demanding right. that your children gets injected with something mm -hmm. and then saying that you're not allowed to go worship God, mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Like this demands mm-hmm. the preachers and the pastors and all the religious leaders to stand up and say no. It demands that. And if they don't do that, they are cowards who are not worthy of being an elder or a leader anyway, shape yeah. or form. Amen. So pastors in Rockport County, stand up. Yeah. And and can we start excommunicating people? This is ridiculous that you get, even in the Catholic Church, these pro-life infanticide advocating people who Pro-choice. Are, yeah. Both. Did Rockland. I say pro-life? And yeah. I said Rockport. Yeah. Well, Rockland County. Rockland, yeah. Yeah. But it's pro-life too, right? right. But they're all, they're all advocating this stuff, and we just don't care about the law of God being applied, judicially binding sentences from the church that God honors. We don't, we don't believe in it anymore. And so we are long past the time of civil disobedience. Frankly, Amen. Uh, we this is this has been going on for so long. We've given over the state to everything, marriage, you name it, and and it's really quite frustrating anymore. And, uh, how many pastors will just sheepishly comply with their tail between their legs on this? You know, I can just imagine Jesus saying, uh, "Let the little children come to me, except little Johnny, since he hasn't been vaccinated." Hmm. Right? If yeah. you are uh, like going along with this dividing of the church, communing together, then you are divisive. Right, that is not something. Somebody not vaccinating is not something that you can um, refuse the table to. You yeah. know, it comes down to this: who is king? Mm-hmm. Is Christ our Lord King, or are we going to admit that the United States federal government or some county in New York State is king? Right. Amen. Which is it? That's what it boils down to. And if to. nobody stands up, it's going to get worse, folks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sort of reminds me too something in the news recently. You probably saw AOC's Green Deal got shot down in the Senate. Oh 50, no, fifty-seven to nothing, and <laughs> fifty-seven to nothing. Yeah. No, no one from her own party yeah, voted no for one. it. Which it, it, astronomical debt? I mean, just it, it's it was a stupid, sh- it was silly a show. It was terrible. It was a show. It was. It was yeah. a fugazi. But you know what? They're going to come back, and they're going to come back, and they're going to come back. You know, we only have twelve years to live now. Apparently, that you know. We're, it's, we're all going to die in 12 years. Uh, Al, Al Gore thinks we should already be dead. So yeah, whatever. exactly. But, but anyway, it reminds me of that because you have this, um, you have conservatives who will look at this issue and say, look how stupid she is. And she does get her facts all messed up. We, we understand. Right. I have patience for that because she's young. She's new. I, if I was thrust into that, there was probably, I would say things wrong. I'm sure. But but you have conservatives who are still doing the statist thing. And then you have churches backing the statists who are doing the statist thing. And it's time to throw the whole thing away. It's, it's, no, it's you can't fix it. It's st- broken. Statism is a false religion. Bingo. Yep. Throw away the state and replace it with biblical the, silver the government. Kingdom yeah. Of God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Replace it with Jesus Christ. Well, we need his law and we definitely need his gospel. That's for sure. So when Sounds we come like back, a segue to me. I think so. That's a good one. We will come back and talk about the law and the gospel, the relationship of the two. Just a reminder, check out our website, crosscrownchurch.com. Check out the seminary information there. You can find us on Facebook. We'll be right back. Instead of taking passion strings and get passionate with passages from the text while we passing it. Though we not highly paid to perform, that don't stop us from stepping on stages galore. Uh, you can take away the stage in a studio booth. Pull the label execs and the loop they recoup. Down change what we slay. We're not your usual group. We only jump for the Lord. So we don't jump through the hoops. I see the culture's distress. I got a lot to express. There's some things I need to get off my chest. But it's time to release the pressure. Decrease the flesh cause. He sees us, he seeks 
lesson. Bless us, drop tools, see deep like treasure. Then seek the lesson. But Christians, we seek his pleasure. When you see that this life is more than ice and rims, and you're ready to go. First Kings 15.5 For David had done what was right in the eyes of the Lord and had not failed to keep any of the Lord's commands all the days of his life, except in the case of Uriah the Hittite. Psalm 119, verse 89. Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You have established the earth and it stands fast. By your appointment they stand this day, for all things are your servants. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. I am yours, save me. For I have sought your precepts. The wicked lie in wait to destroy me, but I consider your testimonies. I have seen a limit to all perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the agent, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you you have taught me how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Though your precepts I get understanding, through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Amen. Welcome back to Crossing Crown Radio. Good stuff. A lot of great content for uh, what we want to talk about. Psalm 119 is a fantastic passage. It's a huge passage. A lot of stuff about God's law, a lot of things are said that we don't usually hear in our churches much at all david man that that poor guy he was just a slave to this law thing right he was totally no wait was he yeah <laughs> yeah that poor guy just trying to work his way to heaven it's really sad yeah no it's not that's not it jordan no it's not it at all it's his meditation all the day really all the day man law and gospel you know that's that's a good point to to make we have a tremendous amount of I don't know, work ahead of us on this issue, I think, because we've, John, we've talked about this in the past. We, we have our Lutheran brothers and sisters who, yeah, yeah. they have a particular view of the law and the gospel where they're... This very strict disconnect, one doesn't have anything to do with the other. Yeah, and even some dispensationalist camps you have, the, the Old Testament was all about try harder, try harder, work faster, get your way to heaven. And then, you know, thank God Jesus came because he fixed all that tyrannical nonsense in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, and, and now it's just about grace, and there's all this confusion. Well, we want to clear that up. 
we want to clear up the relationship of the law and the gospel, we'll start by just simply saying that they're friends. They're not enemies at all. They like each other. They work together. Yeah. They're distinguishable. Right. We know that. Right. That we should keep a distinguish, uh, being able to delineate between what is law, what is not law, what is gospel, what is not gospel. Can I just mention, because we played actually two verses in the intro there, and the first one was from 1 Kings, where it talks about how David kept the law of God basically perfectly <laughs> in every way, except for the manner of Uriah the Hittite. Now, I think maybe colloquially you can understand that David generally obeyed the laws of God in his life. Mm -hmm. But I think sometimes because we are so gospel-centered, we anytime we come to mention of the word law, we're tempted to flip that around and say, Jesus fulfilled that for you, so he's the true keeper of the law, and then it sort of just minimizes the actual meaning of that verse. Mm -hmm. Now, is it true that Jesus fulfills the law for us and works for the law, uh, uh, completes you know the law on our behalf so we don't have to? Absolutely. But we can't be more gospel-centered than the Bible. Mm -hmm. And so we'll get to we'll yeah, get that's into true. this. Do, do we think maybe that there could be, dare, dare I say, almost like a very understandable knee-jerk reaction against the law because we fear the idea that we're trying to save ourselves. Like we are very mm -hmm. much focused on the cross, trying to understand grace. And because of that, we have this overreaction, which is understandable, mm -hmm. but this overreaction against the law as if the law is the problem. Well, what, how do we feel about reactionary theology? That's exactly my point. We don't like it's it. Like, I think sometimes it's coming from like good intentions, right? but yeah. good intentions aren't yeah, aren't worth that much, frankly. Right. Yeah, we can't let our good intentions not allow us to then understand how the law was David's delight and how he was not enslaved by that. Right. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So let's define the law a little bit. I want I want to start by making sure we have just some general parameters, and then we have a lot of Bible we're going to get to. So we're going to go to Romans seven. We're going to go to other passages too, but I want to start with understanding that the law is revelation. It's it's something that's revealed from God. The Torah is the word law in Hebrew, it really, it just means instruction or even direction. It's basically this divine word of totality. It's, it's, uh, in other words, Isaiah eight sixteen says, bind up the testimony, seal the teaching among my disciples. Um, Isaiah eight twenty to the teaching and to the testimony. It's this idea of this is a standard we go to. It's a revealed standard from God. And, and uh, we'll talk more about the righteousness and the law and, and God and how that's related. Um, but Proverbs 13, 14, the law of the wise is a fountain of life. So the law is a revelation of God. It's a revelation of the righteousness of God, which again, we'll define in a little bit. Um, and you think of the book of James, James is concerned with faith and works. He's not concerned with grace and law. Amen. Yeah. Right. Yeah. There is a distinguishing yeah. aspect. So the second thing that we need to do is remember that the law is also tied to the covenant. It's a covenant treaty. Um, it's a sovereignly dictated order of life. That's a huge component. So the, the law basically orders the entirety of a man's life. And, and we're not Gnostics here. So it's the inner life and the outer life of man. It's an all-encompassing thing. So when we're talking about the law, we're not even necessarily talking about the civil law. Right. Also that. Right. But this has to do with 
our own personal life, but not just how we act, but our heart as well, and everything that flows out from that, whether it's our families, our church, or the civil government. It's yes. everything. And if Van Til were sitting here, which he is through his book sitting next to me here, he would he would make the distinguish he would want to distinguish between the creator and the creation. And the law is rooted in God the creator and it's revealed to us and it's about everything. It's a fact that we live in God's world. You can't escape that. It's his world. It belongs, you know, it belongs to him. The third aspect is about dominion. It's this reestablishment that we have in Christ, the covenant model. We think of being the hierarchy, right? We're in Christ. We are now in the right relationship with God because of what Christ has done on our behalf. Um, In other words, so basically redemption and regeneration that puts us back in the game. We are we are now involved in the dominion mandate where we had once rebelled in Adam, but the second Adam brought us back to it. So, so we would not want to talk about natural law. We're we're not um, Thomists here. We don't really think Aristotle was right on some of those things. Um, so there's no law in nature. There's a law over nature. So it's the emphasis of. It's God's world, his law rules everything. Right. So it's not like detached. Right. There's revelation in nature, but there's no uh, law, like you said. Like it it exists on its own apart from God. Right. That type of thing. So those are just some basic parameters. Um, And then I think it's important for us to really just go to the Bible. Let's go to the New Testament and some other passages and look at how should we think about the law? Because it's evangelicals by and large have a very negative view of the law. They don't tend to like it. Now, our Reformed brothers and sisters seem to be more okay with it. How it's applied is also a matter of debate. But there's a a lot of positive views of the law in the New Testament. You have Romans 3.31. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Right, right. Um, Romans 7.12. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. You have Romans 7.22. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. Um, James 2.8, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. It's the royal law of God. It has a description there. Um, you also think about, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. This is James 4.11. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. God's the judge. Um so we could go on and on. We are, right. we know real quick, just first John, he talks several times about, uh, you know, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. He says in first John five, three. So th- there's a positive view of the law. And I think it's great that you laid it out like that because we, we've got to first understand that in scripture, there are just many different meanings of the word law. Mm-hmm. The definition of each usage needs to be understood by reading the context. So you did a great job going through all those and, you know, it can mean this, the law can mean the scriptures generally. It can mean the first five books of the Bible. It can mean the entire Old Testament. It can mean all God's commands, with which are transcendent. Um, it can be distinguished uh, from a law of God expressed in ordinances in Ephesians 2.15, mm-hmm. um, where it's talking about divide, uh, getting rid of the dividing wall of hostility. It can, be, it can talk about a, a general principle like the law of sin and death. It can talk about, I find it to be a law that whenever, and so it's just talking about a, an abstract principle of the law. Right. Um, it can talk about uh, the dominion of the law, so law being um, having no longer having dominion over you. It's just we, we get in trouble when we 
stop looking at the context of what, because the Bible uses the word law, Paul especially, in a lot of different ways, and a lot of times really <laughs> close together. Yeah. Right? And so you've got to know the context before you sort of, okay, I disassociate myself with the law, except as a category of um, trying to get earn my salvation. Right. So this is an ongoing issue in so many different topics that we've already talked about, is we can't be reductionistic. And we need to be really careful about how we define our terms right? and to understand that there is quite a bit of nuance sometimes. And I, I like how you, how you mentioned Paul because <laughs> uh, we were just talking about this. He very well might have used the word law in four different ways in a matter <laughs> of like two paragraphs. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Two verses. <laughs> two verses actually, right? <laughs> and so it's not an exaggeration at all. And we have to be mindful of that. And if you come to the God's word with the presupposition that there is maybe only one kind of law or two kinds of law, and then you're going to try to fit everything into those boxes mm-hmm. unnaturally, you're really not going to understand a lot of these things. And frankly, you're going to do violence to God's word and completely misuse it right. and, and, um, and misunderstand a lot of things that are very, very important when it comes to God's law. Yeah. So those are the positive things and we need to have our qualifiers in place. We need to know what we're talking. That's why a lot of people just, they make a train wreck out of the book of Galatians because he's mm-hmm. focusing on the ceremonial aspect of the law. You, you don't need to be circumcised, right? To be a Christian essentially, mm-hmm. but there are negative things that are stated in the new Testament. I think we need to discuss too. Galatians two nineteen. speaking of Galatians for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. Interesting. 1 Corinthians 9.20, to the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, (laughs) that I might win those under the law. (laughs) Um, Really easy stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Romans 6.14, for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. I preached a sermon not too long on this very passage, uh, that very verse. Romans 7, 6, but now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in a new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Sorry to, what was the last one you read uh, before that? Romans six fourteen. Yeah, say that one again. Yeah, for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. So there's an example of law and grace being, or law and gospel being uh, contrasted. Yeah. So we don't want to act like it's never contrasted. Right. We just want to put it in a proper context. Absolutely. Yes. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and you know, we already talked about this, and I'm, I'm really thankful that we're trying to get down some of these definitions and the foundation of this. To be very clear, and we've mentioned this before, we want to be very charitable to people who have not quite got this hammered down. And I'm not even sure if we've got this hammered down <laughs> as much as we could. And it really just being charitable and compassionate and understanding that this isn't necessarily easy because it really frankly reminds me of what Peter said in second Peter three, when he says, as he does in all of his letters, when he speaks in them of these matters, there are some things in them that are hard to understand, yeah. which yeah. the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. He's talking about That's Paul yeah. and it's like, look, <laughs> if Peter doesn't understand Paul all the time and even mentions that some people misunderstand Paul and twist Paul, what I want to be clear is that we should be charitable to those who misunderstand Paul because he's hard to understand, but we also need to be very weary, wary of those who would twist Paul Amen. intentionally. It's yeah, a good point. Well, so there's these two distinctions. We yeah. want to be charitable, but there are people who will intentionally misuse them as well. And it's, that's, 
very good admonition, brother, because I think that that, especially the latter part of those who are twisting what Paul is saying, like, here's, here's me being patient with you, listener. <laughs> I've heard this so many times, Romans 6, 14, we're not under law, but under grace. It's become mm. this catchphrase, like, judge not, right? Matthew <laughs> 7, 1. So, Which is really unfortunate that scripture be- can become like a hollow slogan. Yes. And it's not that scripture has become that, but it's how people have used it mm-hmm. or misused it. Indeed. And the misuse is simply... Paul, the whole context of what he's saying, because if you keep reading, again, keep reading, he he clarifies, we're not under the condemnation of the law. We're under grace. That's the distinction. He's not freeing us from the obligation of the law. He's freeing us from our condemnation of the law because the law does kill. And why does it kill? Because it's a perfect standard given by God, which no man can meet it. Right. And when does it kill? When you're trying to earn salvation by keeping it. Yeah. Right. When you're trying to earn salvation by keeping the law, that's the context in which it kills. Because the law is wonderful. It is a wonderful gift to those who receive it by grace and in gratitude and as a guide for life. God's wonderful statutes, as David celebrates in Psalm 119. It is a wonderful gift. But there's two ways to get to heaven. One is be perfect and never break the law. Number two is grace, the grace of Christ, atonement on your behalf. And Pursuing that first strategy is the only area where we contrast law and grace or law and gospel. Right. The law strategy of getting to heaven and the gospel strategy of getting to heaven. I'm gonna I'm gonna lose the law strategy. I, I lost it. I yep, not gonna right. work. Yeah, we're all gonna lose not that gonna strategy. Work. Yeah. So but we cannot in. allow that dichotomy to take over all of our understanding of the how the word law is used in scripture. Yeah, because the law is also a gift in the right context. Yeah, and Jordan, you brought up at the break, Romans 10, 4, for Christ is the end of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Right. It's interesting in the New Testament, Hebrews Hebrews 3, 18 and 19, and Hebrews 4, 2 and 4, 6, the writer makes it clear, probably Paul. I'll go with Paul. He (laughs) says basically, and to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. That's an interesting statement because we think of Old Testament saints as being people who had to work for the law in order to get righteous. And that is not what he—this is a perfect passage for this. That's not what's being said. The issue is that they didn't listen to God. Hebrews 4.2, right. for good news came to us just as to them, mm-hmm. but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. And then you go down to verse six in Hebrews four, since therefore it remains for some to enter it. And those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. There you go. That's right. It's the same thing as uh, Paul is saying in Romans nine, where he's talking about Israel's unbelief and how uh, Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. Right. So they were pursuing the strategy one, the, Get to heaven by your work strategy. Yeah, absolutely. That's not going to work too well. And that's a dichotomy with the grace strategy. Mm -hmm. That was the stumbling stone. And and it was not actually based on works. It was they were to obey God's law in faith. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So you go to Mm -hmm. Romans 4, verse 13. It says, For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be an heir to the world 
did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For it is the adherents of the law who are to be heirs. Faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. Abraham was saved by faith. And this is what we're seeing in Romans 4 and several other places where these these characters, these human beings, these real people throughout history in the Old Testament, they have the law. And we think of these people as law keepers. Mm -hmm. We think of these people as they're under the Mosaic law, but they're saved by faith the whole time. And even that faith is a gift by by grace through faith. I, I, I agree with you. But what does then, what does faith do? Genuine, God given, imputed, dispensed faith works. It works, <laughs> it works. according faith to the works. law. law. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what, yeah. what, what was the saying? Ah, goodness, who was it? Um, it might have been Norman Shepard, but people were asking him, uh, are you saved by faith or are you saved by works? He said, yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, Controversy. Uh, Controversy. Yeah, and I mean, you, you, you have to explain that. What You know, if, if you're saying... Um, because we know in James that uh, there's such thing as a dead faith. And what is a dead faith? It's a faith that does not have works. Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. And so a living faith, a faith that is characterized by works, that is evidenced by works, is a, a saving faith. And it's not your works. It's not that something that you get credit for. It's by the grace of God that you even do those works. Right. Right. Not to mention Christ's work. And, and which is why the gospel is so beautiful, because you cannot repent and believe with a dead heart yep so right god if 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 you could do that why would there need to be this whole theology of regeneration so you have to have a new heart and then it can actually do what it's supposed to do because god did it in you right you're working out what god worked in sort of thing paul says elsewhere so that's the big thing with the relationship where the two touch is you have the law written on the heart the work of the law is written on everybody made in the image of God. We know that from Romans 2. Mm-hmm. But the actual law, the, the moral compelling of righteousness, which mm-hmm. we'll come back to in a minute because I want to get there, that is written on you. And now you have a heart that can actually obey. As a believer. Yeah. As somebody who has had the heart of stone removed. Yes. And been given the heart of flesh. And that's David, right? That's yeah. Psalm 19, verse 7. And the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving right. the soul. Exactly. And that, so that's the sense in which it's supposed to be understood. Is that uh, reviving the soul is not saying that um, the law regenerates, right? It regenerates a dead uh, heart, but Correct. a regenerated Christian, once they hear the law of God, they're going to love it, mm-hmm. and it's going to seem wonderful to them. Yeah, because the, it's the Holy Spirit; He is the one who, and, who does yeah. the law and planting, not as a not as a burden, not as some weight to be carried or some standard to hit, so that you can earn God's good pleasure but just as a gracious gift. Yeah. So Jesus establishes the law. We all agree with that. Matthew 5, 17, he's pretty unambiguous here. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Matthew 23, 23, woe to you, scribes. You tithe all this stuff, but you neglected the weightier matters of the law. So there are aspects of the law that we should not neglect. Jesus upholds the law. You also have an aspect of the law being an evangelical tool. Galatians 2.19, for through the law, I died to the law. So in other words, the law taught Paul not to seek the law for righteousness. Yep, exactly. (laughs) It's unattainable. You can't do it. You should feel a sense of, wait, God's law is perfect. 
I can't meet the perfection. I need God to be the righteous one for me, which is what Jeremiah 23, 6 says. The Lord is our righteousness. So I want to take a minute and explain this because I have, I've just been immersed in Van Til recently. Um, I've read him in the past here and there, but I've really kind of just dug in. I don't know why. Speaking of people who are sometimes hard to understand. Yeah, 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 exactly. So I'm reading Van Til and then I'm reading Frame on Van Til and then I'm also dabbling with Bonson on Van Til. So it's kind of... Uh, I've had a good week, though. Um, The question is, what is righteousness? Because we know that righteousness is imputed to us. We know that we can't earn it, but we need to define it. And here's what Van Til says, and I think it's a brilliant, and he's really building on Bavink is what he's doing. But righteousness is the internal self-consistency of the divine being. The internal self-consistency. He goes on, uh, God is a law unto himself. He is the absolute self-existent personality and therefore, at the same time, absolute law. God does not have law, but is law. His self-conscious activity regards with absolute complacency the internal rightness of relationship between the various aspects of multiplicity, here we go, that are found within the divine being. He cannot and does not tolerate any subordination of any one aspect of his being to any other aspect of his being. God is consistent, in other words. The attributes and the persons of God are all on a par. The self-contained, that's very Vantillian, this self-contained consistency expresses itself in the created world by maintaining created consistency among men. You, yeah, so... Catch that last part. That's yeah. huge. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, God's laws are not arbitrary. They're not just like he decided, well, I'm going to make murder good and I'm going to make, you know... <laughs> They're not arbitrary. They're reflections of his character, and he's consistent. That's what Van Tell's getting at there, that this this law is not just some arbitrary standard, but it is in conformity with God's character. And and because of Adam's sin, there is inconsistency in mm-hmm. the world. And this is why I'm post-mill, and I believe it's tied to sanctification. I posted something recently about that. Because God is eradicating inconsistency. Absolutely. And I love that. There's this postmillennialism that's on like an individual level mm-hmm. and, and, where there actually is like sanctification as being a microcosm of, of like building the kingdom of God. And it's really, really an interesting idea. And it, it's, it's fascinating because all of these things actually fit together. And I love that you, you brought that up, Jordan, about the, the idea of God's law being a matter of God's character, because that means it's not going to change. Amen. Thank the God application of it can. Right. And we've talked about that. The application of it can, can certainly change. Mm-hmm. Uh, Christ fulfills many applications of the law, right. but things don't cease to be evil right. when Christ died on the cross. Yeah. God's so, law is not a different law now. So when mm-hmm. you're when you're talking mm-hmm. to somebody who's saying, oh, well, why don't why do you pick and choose which laws you adhere to? And why don't you um, why do you throw a football? Because you know that's pigskin and why don't why <laughs> yeah. do you eat shellfish, the old classic. They think they've got you. Why right? do you yeah. shave your, you know, yeah. Yeah. sideburns? Well, it's yeah. because I'm a Christian. It's because I am not trying to offer sacrifices in the sacrificial system that's now obsolete, God set that in place in his redemptive plan for a period of time till the Savior would come from the tribe of Judah on time and as planned. And that happened. And now the application... See, the underlying principle of all the sacrificial laws was sin requires blood atonement. Mm -hmm. And that hasn't changed. But Christ is the final sacrifice. So how we observe that changes. Mm -hmm. I think it was Bonson who said in his um, By the Standard book, if I remember correctly... Uh, something to the effect of we keep the ceremonial aspects of the law by faith in Christ. 
That's is, great. That's great. So it's so. What are you not saying by that? <laughs> I'm not. What is, what is Bonson not well, saying? Bonson's not saying that we need to go sacrifice goats. He's saying that Christ is the end. Same thing Paul says in mm-hmm. Romans ten four. He's the end of the law. Everything stops in him, and it's reoriented around him. Because he's a right. much better goat, if you will. Because the principle right. of the ceremonial law is is there for a reason. Mm-hmm. It's what you just said, mm-hmm. blood atonement. So he's just simply mm-hmm. saying the blood we trust in is Christ and not the blood of bulls and goats. That's Hebrews. And if Amen. and if back then they were being faithful, they knew that the blood of bulls and goats could not atone for sin. David knew that. Mm-hmm. He was clear about that. He knew that they were they were doing that in faith, looking forward to the Messiah. Mm-hmm. Indeed. The Christ. Well, I want to read a little bit more of Antil because why not? <laughs> um, he says, if there is to be any justice in a world of sinners... It must therefore be given to them. It must be a gift of the grace of God. And those to whom God, by his grace, gives righteousness, he rewards with greater grace. He visits their sins upon them, that is, he chastises them. But in the end, he rewards them for the righteousness which is theirs by grace, with still more grace. He goes on. Thus the consistency that is found in the believer is correspondent to the consistency that is found in God. This consistency in the believer consists in willingness to think God's thoughts after him, in willingness to do God's will after him, and to feel God's feeling after him. In the Christ- if the Christian realizes this, he will find it to be his duty to maintain, as far as he can in himself and in his fellow man, men, a correspondence of the human consistency to divine consistency. He will seek the maintenance of God's laws for men everywhere and at all times in ways that are themselves in accord with those laws. All that is basically to say God cares about sanctification in you as a person and in society and everywhere. And the whole point of sanctification, and that's what the gospel does, it gives you back to the law. Was it Samuel Bolton, the Puritan, who said, you know, the, the, the law drives us to the gospel um, to justify us, and then the gospel sends us back to the law to inquire what is our duty of those now justified in Christ. Exactly. It's it's Titus two fourteen. Um, it's uh, uh, who Jesus Christ who gave Himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to pur- purify for Himself a people for His own possession who are zealous for good works. Mm-hmm. There you go. Yeah. There that's you go. the that's the Vangelian language of consistency. Mm-hmm. We have been taken out of our death in our sins because mm-hmm. of the law's condemnation on us because we can't fulfill it. Mm-hmm. And it brings us into a right relationship with it. It makes us consistent. And right. that's the whole no neutrality pr- principle that we always harp on here. So that's the, I mean, when we, we could spend again hours on this, but the reality is faith is the central component. It's always been the central component. You brought up John at the break. I think the Hebrews 11, the hall of faith passage, right? That, the, the writer isn't lauding these people because they kept the law perfectly. <laughs> it was none of that. It was their actions were rooted in the fact that they had faith. A faith true in Christ. Faith, exactly. Faith in Christ. Faith in the coming Messiah. They already had faith in him. And, and it's one of these things that, you know, you hear this a lot in Reformed camps, like, you can't be David. You know, you're yeah. not David. Right. You know, you should be. You should be. You know, looking to Jesus and like, Amen. You should always be looking to Jesus. But David was a real person, not just a theological point to make a, make a right. soteriological statement. There's typological ideas, and that is all great. And David was a less perfect, less powerful, small version of Jesus, if you yeah. will. 
in that story in that way. But David was able to be David because he had faith in Christ. Mm-hmm. And I can be John because I have faith in Christ. Right. And we're the same in that way. So we are called to not just be Davids. We're called to be Christians, to be like Christ, to have yeah. faith in Christ. And everything good that David ever did was because he was looking to Christ. Same thing with yeah. everybody mm-hmm. else in the hall of faith. Mm-hmm. Can't we then say, well, we're going to go to David because he's a type of Christ. And then when we go to Christ, we can go back to David. And we see how David looked to Christ. <laughs> exactly. So we That's can copy David in that. Paul said, copy me. Yeah. You know, we say that to our kids. Look what, look at me. Look what I do. Yeah. To the extent that you obey God, of course. Right. I, I it, it just, you're, you're absolutely right. It's almost like trying to discourage Christians from action, trying to discourage Christians from boldness and courage mm-hmm. and action in the world. Yeah. And that is what I'm trying to work against. It's like, I'm completely on board with the the typological ideas and looking to Christ and mm-hmm. faith in Christ. What I'm working at, what I'm working against, and what I'm very uncomfortable with, is this sort of knee jerk reaction against Christians who want to be bold in the culture. Right. Hmm. You know, yeah. it's this knee jerk reaction of people like, oh yeah, I really want to be like David. I want to be bold and courageous. And then some reformed seminarian comes around mm-hmm. and says, "You're not David. <laughs> Jesus was like, courageous like, for hold, you. Hold up, hold up. Like yes, Jesus was courageous for us, and that's awesome. That's amazing. But we can look to Jesus to be like him. Right. And what ends up happening is like you become more gospel centered than the Bible is because the Bible does encourage and sort of whip you up at times to be zealous to obey the law. Absolutely. And like you don't need to every time come through and be like, well, you know, you don't need to be zealous because Jesus did it for like. So we've heard the warning. You want a strong law gospel distinction. And in this episode, we've been very, very clear on the fact that, you know, there's two ways to heaven. There is a law gospel distinction in that sense. But we want to put it back on them. We want our audience to be careful of anyone who only draws law gospel distinction anytime they talk about the law. Right. Yeah, be like aware of that because thing. you're going to yeah. be flattening and missing so much of what scripture has to say about the law. Right. And, and simply put, like our Christianity is more than sitting around meditating upon penal substitutionary atonement. Whoa. Mm-hmm. It's more about navel gazing these theological abstractions that we cover again and again and again as we read our 30th book on the five points of Calvinism. That was a <laughs> mic drop moment. Yeah, <laughs> man. I would like to uh, read a little frame for you because and yeah. we'll, we'll link this to the show notes on this article that he did on the the article's entitled Law and Gospel Appropriately, and I'm just going to read the first little paragraph here of what Frame has to say. The distinction between law and gospel is not a distinction between a false and a true way of salvation. Rather, it is a distinction between two messages, one that supposedly consists exclusively of commands, threats, and therefore terrors, the other that consists exclusively of promise and comforts. Although I believe that we are saved entirely by God's grace and not by works, I do not believe that there are two entirely different messages of God in Scripture, one exclusively of command or law and the other exclusively of promise or gospel. In Scripture itself, commands and promises are typically found together. With God's promises come commands to repent of sin and believe the promise. The commands typically are not merely announcements of judgment, but God's gracious opportunities to repent of sin and believe in him. As the psalmist says, be gracious to me through your law. Psalm 119.29. That's just covenantalism. I mean, that's that's, that's yep. just how God's yep. covenants work, where there's ethics and there's guidelines and there's law. And if you disobey that, there's going to be sanctions against you, negative sanctions. However, if you obey God's law, there's 
positive sanctions. Yeah. There's blessings. Well, we didn't have time to get into what Bonson said on some of that, <laughs> on that book, but he talks a lot about basically the, the overarching covenant continuity of God in the old covenants all the way to the new and how they're connected. And it's definitely, it's basic reform theology. Amen. And so, well, anyway, guys, good stuff. That's it. Um, yeah, I'm kind of tired. That was a very stimulating conversation. <laughs> um, but hey, thanks listeners for checking us out. You can go find us on Facebook. Check out our website, crosscrownchurch.com. And your prayers and giving, please consider our work here. And uh, Cross the Crown Seminary. Cross and Crown Seminary <laughs> is coming to you. Well, that's it for us. We'll see you next time. Grace and peace. Thank you.